Hello, critics, non-critics, and friends. Welcome to the Film Optics Podcast, where we take a glance into blockbusters, indie films, and everything in between. I'm your host, Christian, and today I'm joined by three guests. We have Leo Rydell from the Geekly Goods YouTube channel returning. We also have YouTuber Mike Thomas from the Chatter After slash Collider returning. And for the first time ever, we have Elliot from Hakunama Chatter. He's also a YouTuber. I'm just surrounded by YouTubers today, which is a lot of fun, honestly. I have a lot of YouTube friends on the film Twitter space. And today we're going to be continuing our journey across the four nations as we revisit, break down, and review our beloved show. The most beloved show out there, I, I personally feel. Uh, Nickelodeon's Avatar The Last Airbender, book two, Earth, a.k.a. The Pinnacle, the best season out there when it comes to this entire show, even though we love each season dearly. And before we begin today's episode, you can listen to our podcast on podcast platforms around the internet. That includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. And if you are a new or seasoned listener to the show, we would love to hear from you guys. Follow us on Instagram and follow us on Twitter at Femoptics, that is optics with an X, or you can email us at Femoptics at gmail.com for any movie-related questions. So, gentlemen, oh gentlemen, I guess I'll start with Elliot, the, the guest of honor here, uh, his first time being here on the podcast. How has your week been, man? How, how, how have you been doing? Hello, 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 everybody. I, I am very good. I'm in a very... Nice, blessed time at the moment. Um, I am rehearsing a, a theatre show at the moment. We go on this week coming as of the recording of this podcast. So I'm very excited doing some Treasure Island. And I played 10 different characters. It's stacked. There's four of us in the cast. So it's it's an energy-inducing one. But it is a lot of fun. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's kind of how my week has been, just just rehearsing this, baby. And uh, the day of recording this podcast, I just got out from seeing Nope at the cinema as well. It's finally come out in the UK, and that was a great time. It shot straight to number two on my favorites list of 2022 so far. So a good week all around. Well, I think that deserves a very, very happy congratulations, <laughs> man. That is amazing. Glad to have you here. Glad to hear that you're doing so well. So, Mike, Mike Beifong, how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing incredibly well, my friend. I'm glad to be back. Glad to talk about, like you said, the pinnacle of Avatar, The Last Airbender. Um, we might have a little disagreement with that uh, as Leo gets into his thoughts on the matter. But <laughs> you introduced Toph. You introduced the world to the boulder. The greatest supporting character of all time. Fun times all around. <laughs> the Boulder. You may be big, but you ain't bad. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And finally, Leo, how has your week been, buddy? Hey, good week going on here, guys. Thanks for having me again, Christian. Can't wait to talk some Avatar. It's good to see you, Elliot. And uh, yo, the second best, or at least my second favorite Avatar book. I can't wait to talk about it. Yo, tough, great character. Love getting her. The boulder was awesome. And just looking forward to chatting about this, about this book. It's always a good revisit. And uh, yeah, there's, there's great moments throughout the whole book. And like you guys were saying before the cast, every episode is great. Like every episode in this book is fantastic. So can't wait to chat about it. 
For sure, for sure. So uh, before we get into our actual uh, revisited of book two, I wanted to ask Elliot uh, how he was introduced to Avatar The Last Airbender. Um, For those who are now listening, you can actually hear Mike and Leo's uh, introduction on our book one review there. But walk us through how you were introduced to the world of Avatar. Yeah, so I think I was the same as you guys. I remember listening to your book one episode, and I think for all of you guys, it was it was on Nickelodeon when it originally aired, and and I was the same. Though my trajectory wasn't quite as simple as that. Uh, I think when I was watching, I actually, for some reason, I kind of didn't really clock on or didn't really schedule in when the episodes were airing. So I actually ended up missing a couple episodes here or there, and I don't think in the end I ever finished book one when it was originally airing. So it wasn't to a couple of years later when they were all coming out on DVD. Um, and I was, I think I'd finished school and I was working. And so I had adult money and I saw there was on DVD. So I bought all three box sets, book one, two and three. And I, I got through that so quickly, so quickly. And I just, there was just so many surprises. And, you know, when, as I was sort of older, I was late teens, early twenties by then. And I was just watching this all unfold, just being like, I remember when this was just like a cheap and cheerful show and this kid was waking up in an iceberg and now there's, I don't know, there's, there's, there's people going missing. There's, there's conspiracies. There's all, there's coops. There's everything. This show is packed. There's, there's lightning. Like what is going on here? Like it was, yeah, it just, I, I was like, I can't believe I missed all this when I was originally watching it. And it just filled me with so much joy. And I was like, do you know what? I've got it all now, physical media. I was like, I never have to worry about missing any of it again. And yeah, it's great. I, I absolutely love it. That is a fantastic introduction, man. I, I do agree with you because like book one, you know, everyone's introduced to this this brand new world. It's all about world building, mm-hmm. as we said in our book one review. And then, you know, season two just... It just takes it to a whole new level. And it's like, what is going on? Like, there's all these, you know, there's metal bending. And it's like, what? Metal bending? And <laughs> it only gets crazier from there. Like, that's not even, like, the tip of the iceberg. Uh, especially when against it, uh, we get into uh, Legend of Korra as well. But, yeah, for book two, man, it's just, it's perfect. It it is yeah. it is quite it, it's it's perfect. That's all I can say. Like we said before, you know, every episode is a complete banger, and you can't miss out on one because you miss out on so much of what's happening with all these conspiracies, like you said, Elliot, and all these missing persons and pets as well. But ladies uh, and gentlemen, <laughs> this is I'm, I'm so excited to get into this. <laughs> Tough Bay Fong is here. So guys, are you ready to dive into our review, our series revisited here of book two of Avatar The Last Airbender? We yes. ready? Yep, yep. <laughs> the boulder is ready. <laughs> <laughs> He's over his conflicted feelings. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back after this introduction to Avatar The Last Airbender, Book to Earth. Water. Earth. Fire. Air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. 
and although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. All right, ladies and gentlemen, and we are back. You just heard the, the again, epic intro to Avatar The Last Airbender. I was thinking about adding in, like, a little, like, clip from season two. I'm like, you know what? We're going to keep it traditional. We're going to keep it consistent. Because I believe in our book one, I also used the segue for just the intro itself. And, it like, it just never gets old. It never gets old. It's so, it's just so memorable. It's like I've memorize this entire intro probably one of the few intros i've ever remembered from any tv show in my entire life but ladies and gentlemen welcome to our avatar the last airbender book to earth breakdown um before we get into it just to let you guys know uh, we're going to be spoiling everything because this is a very old show i believe season two dropped in 2006 from what i was looking up online so you know we're it's it's been a while <laughs> for sure but um, like i said before all gloves are off you know we're going to be talking about spoilers everything so if you haven't seen anything avatar last airbender related uh turn back now definitely go watch it it's on netflix you can also stream it on paramount plus as well or if you're a physical media collector go ahead and buy the blu-ray it is a great uh great piece of media to add to your collection so the way this is going to go down here for everyone listening we're going to get into our um, our rewatch thoughts you know um things that we might have missed along the way after our previous rewatch i don't know how long that's been for everyone else but we're also going to get into our into our um our standout episodes from book two then we'll get into our best bending slash non-bending moments then we'll get into final thoughts and we'll kind of close out from there. So um, we're going to start this off with Elliot. So what are your initial rewatch thoughts as you were uh, watching book two earth, you know, just, just lay it all out on the table for us about your, um, your initial thoughts after this rewatch. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was an odd one because uh, I rewatched without rewatching book one. It was mainly just because of timing and I only had enough time to squeeze in book two. And the initial thoughts, I was, even though it took me a, a couple episodes to, to properly sort of get my bearings again, I was so much more emotionally invested this time around. I don't know what it was about watching it this time. Maybe it's just the, the current headspace I'm in or something, but it was just something so beautiful about returning to what is essentially just this nostalgic piece of, of great TV and great cartoon and anime. Like, I think I was just... I was I was just wholly invested, especially from the library onwards, because yeah, we all know what happens there. Like I think there onwards, because the first half of the season very much follows that episodic balance that the first first book follows. It's you know we're hopping from town to town, place to place, going on these kooky one episode adventures. But then once we hit the library, that's it. That 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 sort of subplot of of having to find. Appa just it just kind of almost takes over while we're still having the the main plot for book two of we're getting to Ba Sing Se we have then the main plot of the show we've got to stop the Fire Nation and it kind of it just breaks itself down that little bit more um, which allows us to just invest a little bit further emotionally I feel and I also another thought that came out this season is so funny it is hilarious like the jokes are wild. 
I I don't know how many times I can watch this show and find Sucker saying, what a tribe. Hilarious each time. Each time. And not just that, but I mean, Cave of Two Lovers, it's going to it's gonna be in my standout episodes and I'll talk about that more there. But when it comes to comedy, I mean, as I say, like the first half of the show in its episodic nature does a great job of just leading us down a false narrative, keeping things light, keeping things airy. So then once we get to the library, we get to that mid-season, it all changes from there. Yeah, Elliot, you bring up some really good points. You know, balancing the humor with the seriousness, it kind of reminds me of even with Harry Potter, because, you know, it gets uh, that storyline gets darker and darker as each book or each movie uh, goes on, but they, they're they still able to capture these fun little um chuckles of comedic bits throughout Harry Potter that reminds you that, hey, you know, there is a lot of serious things going on in this world, but we're going to give you, you know, a little like flashes of light of comedic bits here and there. And I feel like season two of Avatar The Last Airbender did that perfectly, especially um, I think it was the Avatar Day episode where the judge is like, oh, we call it justice because it's just us. (laughs) I was like, Yeah. Wow. It's it's so stupid, but it gets me every single time. It's crazy. But we'll move on here uh, to Mike and then Leo. Uh, Mike, I I know you brought some notes here with you today. So (laughs) what are your initial reactions or your initial rewatch thoughts for book two? It's really just uh, piggybacking off what Elliot said earlier. Right. Like rewatching because. I rewatched book one for the last episode, rewatching book two, kind of just going all along with it. You really see how much the series has evolved and changed since book one. And the the DNA of Avatar is still in there. You have your humor, you have your action, you have the basic shonen-esque tropes that this <laughs> Avatar series comes with. But it becomes way less episodic. It becomes more serialized. And you you really start to see that when you introduce Toph, right? In like the Swamp episode, it kind of leads into the Blind Bandit. And I like how once they get tough, they go, and then Azul is just on their tail from that point on to the end of the series. And so you really start to feel the show coming into its own. You even have, I know we, we talked about this in the last recording, about how book one was really world building. Book two is really about the characters, like seeing Zuko's journey with Iroh, seeing him leave Iroh and having to come back to him after his injury from Azula. You you start to spend more time with the characters since we already know how the world works. But even though we know how the world works, it still adds nuances to it, like the metal bending at the end of the season. So I I just think it highlights the, the show at its best. Because it's able to take everything from before and build upon it. Not necessarily changing, but growing into the next season, sophomore season. Um, Because you look at, like Elliot was saying, you look at how episodic the first few episodes of this season are. And then it just slowly stops being that way. (laughs) And then you realize, yeah, Sokka just referenced something from two episodes ago. That didn't happen that often in book one. Like when they're in the desert and he mentions... You used your water on the swamp, guys. It's funny, but also it's like, yeah, you guys never really referenced previous adventures. And watching it originally is how I ended up missing so much. Because if I if you miss an episode, you're done. It's over. Like, I know one day I came back and I'm like, where the heck is Appa? Why are we in the desert? And I'm just like, oh, 
that ep- one episode I missed was detrimental to the entire season. <laughs> so yeah, um, it it growing and changing is what I really picked up on, and we can talk about specific moments and episodes a bit later. But yeah, that's what I noticed rewatching it. Okay, all right, Leo, what about you? Yeah, I follow many of the same sentiments as Elliot and Mike. I mean, this season of the show really does cement a voice for the show because yes as you guys were saying lots of one-off adventures which were really fun leading up to this point but yeah as soon as you get to great reference elliot with the library it pretty much just cements itself as okay ang's avatar he's gotta learn the four elements for sure and azula's right on his tail not just zuko this time and every now and then we'll pop around and like no it gets really serious and they start introducing more elements of things like conspiracies. I mean, the whole bossing say not knowing about the war was such an interesting po- plot thread on this rewatch, I think, because I was going through the episodes before. And of course, you know, you get that. But it, it not only it not only is a super interesting plot thread, it also is it goes to show how like crazy of a villain and how serious of a villain Azula is to be able to outsmart this dude who has control of the Dai Li, who has control of just about everything in the Earth Kingdom, To be for her to be able to outsmart that makes her a villain that actually we actually can be afraid of, we actually can be intimidated by because she's able to outsmart people like that. Not only that, we get close to these characters, we build a lot more on stakes from the first season, and it just feels like we're getting closer and closer to that fight, to the end, of course, to the inevitable, to the comet coming. So I love that we do take these turns into a more serious story. It comes away from the light, fun fluff and gets a lot more serious. And I also do like episodes like Zuko Alone, where we do get that perspective of people on the ground during this war, which we got a little bit of in in the first book. But I think the Zuko Alone episode just illustrates just how percept how how people perceive the fire nation and just how much they hate them how much the fire nation has seriously ruined some lives and how there is a need for that philosophy of the fire nation to change great great book um it is my second favorite but it's still a really really good book nonetheless and i think it's got such a strong closing episode because the the mere thought of losing the avatar spirit just like Something about that and getting zapped by the lightning just really like put it makes me a little feel a little intimidated. I'm like, no, the avatar, like I get worried about it, even though you know he gets healed by the spirit water. It's just so pressing and urgent. But great, great uh second book. And honestly, love this rewatch. I'll be real. Before this, before the show, I think I rewatched this almost three times. I almost made it to three rewatches. So Oh my gosh, that's crazy. <laughs> I was, I mean, I, I finished it a little bit earlier than expected, but yeah, I was like, I got to get it done by, you know, by, by recording day, like by the 14th for sure. But uh, as far as for my initial rewatch thoughts, I mean, as we said before in season one, where, you know, there's a lot of setup and payoff, the very beginning of this season, I think, I believe the first episode is called The Avatar State, where we actually learn more about what the avatar state is, it is a defense mechanism 
for you know the avatar it is channeling all the uh, previous avatars experiences um into one being to create this almighty power but it's also we learned that it's when the avatar is at their most vulnerable we've always heard about how powerful the avatar is coming off of book one and you know oh he's supposed to bring balance or she's supposed to bring balance whoever they may be and you know they're they're this almighty being who can bend all four elements but we learned that the avatar can be killed you know the avatar cycle can cease to exist um if the avatar is killed in the avatar state and i thought that was a very interesting um way to write ang or yeah i would say for ang because as you know he he is a more sensitive guy than most especially with him dealing with earth this time around which is the complete opposite of air and you know we see those struggles with ang throughout this entire season of him not being able to earthbend but i i really love how it comes full circle you know we see uh ang um we see ang you know go into the avatar state and then out of nowhere azula just takes her chance as she always does but i don't know if she knew about the avatar state prior she was just like oh this dude's floating up in the air let me see if i can strike him down really quick and it's like she's so manipulative but she's such a good character um in season two because it's really our first introduction to her and she's the worst character but mm-hmm. you know we see you know the the relationship between her and zuko like their whole family has this huge bad blood but it's like season two really just it really just builds everything like every like minute detail it just it's like hey you know like season one was amazing but we're gonna make season two bigger better and and stronger i mean like pun intended when it comes to earthbending because when when you're seeing Toph, you know, she joins the group and then you just expect everybody to, to get along. But that's not necessarily what happens. And I love how we pretty much spend an entire episode of the the backhanded or I guess the backhanded compliments or like the, the struggles of adding a new person into the group. It's like, OK, cool. Aang has his earthbending teacher, but she's not necessarily pulling everyone else's weight she's pulling her own weight as she says multiple times Toph is very independent and you know she she knows who she is and she doesn't need anyone's validation and that's why she is uh my favorite character next is Zuko it's it's more of like a 1a 1b type situation I absolutely love both of them but yeah this this entire season uh free season two it's just it just gets better and better and better and then of course, when uh, what Ellie was talking about with the library, there's like this emptiness that comes out of that episode because Abba is no longer with the group. And he's been kind of the glue that kind of holds everyone together. You know, everyone relies on it for transportation, but it's so gut wrenching. And it's like it makes you feel like woozy inside kind of because like when I got to the episode, I was like, I got to go through this again <laughs> like fine i'll do it but it's it's just such a everything from from beginning beginning middle and it's it's non-stop you know adventures and like elliot said for the library it really just takes a whole different turn because you have the subplot of trying to find Appa, which you know leads them to bossing say and then 
You have the Oppa Alone episode, the Tales of Boxing Say episode. There's just, there's so much here. It really is the meat and potatoes of this entire series. Rant's over. <laughs> if, if I can remember correctly, I'm pretty sure the library was like the, the mid-season finale. So like the show went on break yeah. after yeah. that episode. It did. Oh, yeah. It did. Yeah, I remember right. that. So that, that kind of serves as the tonal shift, right? It's like, okay, yeah. we're going into a new section of the story and it's mm-hmm. going to feel completely different. And I think that's why it stands out so much. It's like a standout this season. I mean, it's a great cliffhanger. If you're waiting a week or you're waiting six months, it's a horrible wait. It's <laughs> yeah. a horrible wait. Amen, it is. <laughs> it is. I mean, like, it's Appa, you know? Like, it's, I mean, yeah, he's, like I said, he's their transportation guy, but it's like, he's more than that, you he's know? More than that. He's more he's, that. He's Ang's last connection to, to his life 100 years ago. You know, it's the last... You know, he's he's his his other best friend. He's seen the bones of in book one. Like, you know, it's 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 crazy that 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 what he has to face. And and when you rewatch that episode, the moment Ang lands on the ground, Katara and Sokka are like, "We've made it out. We're safe." Blah blah blah. Ang knows from the moment he's landed, something is not right. You know, they they have that connection. Here's one thing in the in the swamp episode when Ang puts his hand on the vines and he feels the connection to Upper, like. It carries over, you know, I think that because I was kind of as I was watching this rewatch, I was like, oh, there's no real payoff for Ang sensing Appa and Momo through the vines. You know, we don't see that later in a similar way that Cora does when she finds Prince Wu. But, you know, I think maybe that is the payoff. I think maybe I've just in this moment thought of it, that that payoff is that as soon as he lands back in the desert out the library, it's instant. He knows instantly something is wrong. He's not. He's not even stopping to celebrate surviving one Shitong. Uh-uh, something's not right. I, I'd also say, sorry. No, you're good. You're good. You're good. No, I was just gonna say. Uh, I talking about that payoff, Elliot. I think part of it is also when Guru Patik finds Appa, right, and he's able to yeah, use yeah. his connection to find Annie. Sure. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. think that that's a, a smaller payoff. But I I really like how you pointed out in Korra how it connects that way too which is mm. why the writing in this entire franchise is so strong. Yeah. yeah <laughs> but we'll get to Korra. Leo, Leo, we'll get to Korra one day. <laughs> yeah, we sure will. The, the, Bring me back. The second two back. seasons I are great. I need, to, I, need to, I need to sit down with Leo when we talk book two spirits because I can't wait. <laughs> Look, I will be here for three and four, but y'all can go ahead and talk about book one and two. Uh, <laughs> there's something else I noticed in this season that I think doesn't get brought up enough. Uncle Iroh had a character arc, like had a had a big mm. character shift here as well. I mean, in in the first book, we do see him still having that remnants of being a Fire Nation general, and we see him slowly become more peaceful, making the yeah. tea shop, really wanting to live a life outside of the Fire Nation because he truly sees and has known and has experienced how evil these people are. I mean, in the Zuko Alone episode, he loses his son and. Zuko said, um, of course, Zuko's mother breaks the news to, to him. But you see Azula in the background of that shot and she looks like she doesn't even care. And I'm like, most of the people in the Fire Nation like empathy. They like emotion, or at least at the at the top crumb there in, in Fire Lord Ozai and Azula, they like they lack emotion. They lack sympathy. They like empathy. These people have to be 
they have to get away from them to live a better life. And you see a couple episodes of Zuko even being happy for his uncle. He finally made an ascension away from that life as a conqueror in this book. And it's something that we get little nuggets of here and there, but I feel like they don't talk about it a lot. But he does really get out of that philosophy and mindset of being the conqueror. And then in the third book, he comes back and says, you know, I've had a vision of me taking Bossing Say, didn't know it would be me taking it back. So it just kind of hooks into him transcending away from being a conqueror to now being a more peaceful, peacekeeping man who wants to work with Team Avatar at this point. That's a very interesting point with with Iroh. And I believe it was, oh my gosh, what was the episode where... Um, it was the episode right after uh, they work out their issues with Toph when Azula's like right on the trail. I forgot the name of the episode already. The uh, chase. We were talking about the chase. That episode. So bitter work, right? It's the episode <laughs> you're probably thinking of. Was it bitter work or was it? No, it, 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 it was the chase. The chase. The, the chase is when, is when they're literally being followed by Azula and, and Toph has the tea with Iroh. Is, is it, is yeah, it yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, the, yeah. yeah, that episode. Yeah, that episode <laughs> gotcha. literally had no business being as good as it did because it's it brings a, you know, it's not just, oh, these are the good guys, these are the bad guys. Like but the good guys have to defeat the bad guys. You really you literally have, you know, these groups of people crossing uh, crossing paths not only as, you know, to confront each other, but just accidentally where, you know, I mean, Top does kind of just venture off from the group and she's telling you know um Sokka and Katara and Aang like this is why they keep finding us and nobody's listening to me so I'm just gonna bounce kind of thing she's like I'm just gonna leave and just you know do my own thing who needs them I'm going back to the Earth Kingdom and then that's when she accidentally runs into Iroh and of course Toph being blind it really just you know they're able to share that nice little moment and then them noticing each other towards the end of the episode where you know the everyone has Azula cornered, but I mean Azula's Azula is like probably the best Slytherin out there because she is just so ruthless. <laughs> it is crazy, like, but I love her character so much. It's she's so bad that she's good. It's like King Joffrey, like everyone loves to hate him, but Azula is just she's just out here trying to. I mean, I guess try to be like her father in a way. You know, it it kind of just makes her it she's just very dangerous overall but you know she she yeah. picks out the weakest person of the group it's like okay i'm gonna go after um i'm gonna go after iroh because he's he's the most experienced but he's also not in his prime so that was kind of how her she was able to strike and kind of get away but you know the group trying to help zuko um tend to iroh after um after Toph recognizes who he was. But then I think I was talking to Mike about it, how he said it was it was the cheesiest line when Zuko's like, go away or no, or something like that. I can't remember. But I, I definitely felt something, you know, like. It's a great moment, but Bosco's line read of leave, it just makes me laugh every single time. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like so passionate about them leaving in that one moment. Leave! Yeah, yeah it's just. Rangers. It just gets, the, the moment is great. It's just the line read, I think, is funny. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree with you there, Mike. It is very. 
it's very um it, it is a bit cheesy now that I think about it, but I was still feeling something for Zuko. I was like, you know, much like Appa and and um and Aang, and I guess you could throw Momo in there too. I mean, Iroh really is the only family that Zuko has left, and it's like Obviously, you know, Zuko takes Iroh for granted a lot, but it's like he would be very lost without him. And we kind of see that in Zuko alone, where, you know, he's having these flashbacks. Like I said, this family is horrible. At least mm. <laughs> at least two out of the four family members here <laughs> are terrible people. And it's like they have no reason to be this cruel, this vile. It's like, you know, I understand, you know, the father trying to usurp you know, Iroh, but then it's like your daughter's in on it too. And it's like, that just makes her more dangerous. And it's, she's learned everything from him. Like I was saying earlier, I, I noticed that on this rewatch, like Zuko's mother disclosing the the news that his cousin is dead. Like, and, and Zuko's, you know, has, has a look of concern. The mother has a look of concern. Azula's in the back. Just like, whatever. Like lo- literally just like looking over like, Oh, Okay. I'm like, these are terrible people. These people have no sympathy. And and Luten dies, and the first thing Ozai does is go to Zulan and like, hey, well, you know, his son died. Maybe I should be the king. Like, it's like, really? That's your first inkling? You wouldn't even like write your brother, be there for him. Nah, Ozai's like, okay, cool. That that makes me closer to being Fire Lord, right? I think one thing we've actually never gotten from this series, and I can't remember if it happens in book three or not, but we don't, we never really see the relationship between um, Fire Lord Ozai and Iroh all that much. So it's like the one thing I wish we kind of would have gotten a little bit. Mm, in, I need of, a novel, of, people. Write me that novel. Right. <laughs> I think so, because we only ever see them talking about each other, and it definitely is this... There's definitely some tension there. I mean, Ozai viewing him as a traitor and as as just low as as can be. There, there's some personal, some personal qualms going on there. They're the only characters I think that never share a scene together, like major characters. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Never. But it's like, why would they at the same time? Yeah, because it's it's Zuko's story, right? Those are that's that's his yin and yang. Yeah. Ozai, Iroh, it's like you don't need to see the the two of them come into conflict because the conflict is Zuko and between those two sides. I guess uh, Katara never meets the Fire Lord either as well directly. She'd only be the other That's one. Right. Yeah. She's, with, she's with Zuko. But she was beating up on Azula at the end of this season, y'all. I was like, uh-oh, Katara. She holding yeah, her own, oh, man, she almost killing had her. it. She almost had her. She almost, almost had her until Zuko jumped in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna. I was just gonna say. I think the reason this season works though is all on Azula, right? Because in book one, we we established that Zuko is an antagonist. He's not really a villain. We like by episode three, we yeah. are rooting for yeah. Zuko uh, after his Agni Kai with Zhao. So in this season, they really had to up the ante by one introducing a villain that's scarier than Zhao, but also a foil that's for both Aang and Zuko. And that works surprisingly well on how her entire goal is to go capture Zuko. She just decides, you know what? While I'm out here, I'm going to go kill the Avatar. And she pretty much does both. She gets Zuko back home and she takes out the Avatar. 
that's what makes her so scary. And that's why those chimes of hers still haunt my nightmares. <laughs> Seriously. It's crazy because even when when Zuko, he goes to like his metamorphosis where, you know, they're they're living out their lives in the Boston say, you know, Uncle Iroh has his tea shop, you know, the Jasmine Dragon. Things are looking well for, for both uh, parties. And it's, you know, we get that... That, that conflict within Zuko, you know, he's he's decided to become like a better person because of the actions of him letting the Avatar go towards, you know, the end of season one. And then it's like, you know, he's faced with it again. It's like, okay, he's changed, but let's put Zuko to the test to see which road he would choose on his own. And then, like I said, Azula being like the manipulative Slytherin snake that she is, it's it's so crazy to think how, you know, the inner turmoil within Zuko. Do I do I listen to, you know, the man who has essentially, you know, taken me in as, you know, his own fa- um, son? Or, you know, do I want to listen to my, my sister who Azula always lies? And he says that over and over, even when. You know, she she gives she's so sneaky because she gives him the choice, but she knows at the end of the day that like it's kind of like she knows what Zuko's going to choose before he even makes a decision. Like even it's like during the rehearsal, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's crazy. Like when when um was it? No, that was season one. I'm sorry. No, that was season two when Azula goes to Zuko. It's like, hey, you know, dad wants you back kind of thing. And then one of the guards. Yeah, that's the first episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah first episode of season. That's right. That's right. So it's like that really kicks off everything. And they were going back. They were on the way back. And then, yeah, one of them guards slipped up and said, oh, we got the prisoners. And that's how they do. Like, (laughs) uh, uh, hold on. Back it up. (laughs) But and, and, and all that time, Iroh knows as well, doesn't he? All that time, yeah. Iron knows as well. Yeah, he was all suspect the whole time, yeah, yeah, yeah. whole time. But he's like, okay, if Zuko's going, if my brother has sent Azula, that ain't right. Some no. ain't right. Some ain't right. That guard got choked. You know that guard got <laughs> tore up after that. Yeah. It would have been more believable. I feel like if Fireler Ozai actually came himself instead of having like at least for nah. Zuko's sake. I, I kind of yeah. liked I, I liked Azula because I liked Fire Lord Ozai for most of the series being this ominous figure that we don't know about. I like that. Like, no, I'll keep him as like this overarching big evil that we barely know mm. about until the third book. I like that. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. I was just thinking of like other ways it could have played out. But it's like it's just so. When do we first like actually see Ozai? Like C three, it's it's in the, the awakening, three, right? yeah, yeah. Book three, yeah, yeah, the That's awakening, insane. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But like, well, like what Mike was saying before, it's like it's just with Azula, she's just she's just she decides to go after the Avatar just for no reason at all, just kind of just. I'm just like wow for giggles because she knows she could like she's like yeah. she knows she could beat the avatar so and it's might yeah as well. it's like well my brother's chasing the avatar so I might as well just kill two birds with one stone and it's like I mean I guess yeah. that's one way to please your father <laughs> but, I mean it's the same with Zhao in book one isn't it you know he's mm. just there as part of the war effort but as soon as he cottons on to the fact that oh it's the avatar you're going after well mm. No, sorry, mate. I've got the weight of the fire navy behind me. See you later. Yeah. 
Yeah, I guess that's why Azula is such a great villain, though, right? Because she pretty much has the same resources Zuko had. Like, two or three people are with her. One ship. That That's that's it. And she's able to not only track both of them, but succeed by the end of the season. It's what makes her so intimidating. And guys, we've been talking for so long. We haven't even mentioned May and Ty Lee. Yeah, I was no, just about right. to bring them up. Yeah, like her small elite team, May yeah. and Ty Lee, just taking down the Earth Kingdom all together. And it's like, what? <laughs> this is crazy. I still want to see that Azula Suki battle. Like, can we can we get that? <laughs> they just want to cut out of that, man. Cut right out when it looked like it was getting good. We'll get it when we get Lemillion versus Overhaul. I don't. I, I'm not very far into it, but I, I know who both those characters are. So, <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. To touch on you know the, the small elite with main Tai Lee, it's. I mean, we see that obviously Zula knows that she needs help, but she manipulates Tai Lee, and then Mace is like, "Yeah, I'll come with you. I have nothing else better to do. Like I've been sitting here at Omashu, just you know, with my my family, not doing much. So she kind of just goes along with it." But it is very scary how a a small like strike team like that can really take down an entire kingdom. Maybe not overnight, but within a reasonable amount of time, where they yeah. pose as the Kyoshi Warriors, and you know the king just doesn't really know what's going on of of of, of bossing saying. Well, yeah, he don't know nothing. They got him psyched into not even thinking there's a war going on. Yeah, I mean, he's saying he never, he's never been out of the inner walls. Like, he's never been out of no, the inner palace. walls at never, all. Never left the palace. Palace, but yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It was palace. You're just like, dude, what are you running? <laughs> <laughs> running around with that bear all day. I guess him and Bosco <laughs> be learning circus tricks. Wait. Like, it's like, what are you doing? Do you mean, do you mean sorry, do you say bear? Don't you mean platypus bear? <laughs> I mean, they were like, wait, isn't it like a... Crossover animal bear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bossing say so weird. <laughs> I love how they just threw that in there because the entire series, you know, this is crossover with animals, and they're like, "Oh, he has a bear." Yeah. It's like a platypus bear. No, and then they say something else. He's like, "No, just a bear." And just then, a bear. <laughs> Top's like, "This place is weird." <laughs> <laughs> I love. I love. Like Elliot said at the top of the show, the humor in this season is so oh, on pink. point. Like. One of my favorite moments is in the Blind Bandit episode, and Toph just says, do people want to see two little girls fighting out here? <laughs> and it's just like, oh, that might be the sickest burn in the entire season. The pebble. Yeah. <laughs> but even when, like, Sokka starts booing Aang, and I was like, don't boo him. <laughs> I love it when they're looking for the library, and then... Uh, Top's like, look, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly That's a big fan of books. <laughs> <laughs> no. She's like, I've held them before. <laughs> it's great stuff. Lucky for Toph, she can listen to this podcast, you know, on Spotify, yeah. Apple, Google. We got her covered. <laughs> she is my favorite character, but let's uh, move into our standout episodes here. Uh, we'll start with Leo, uh, then go to Elliot, then Mike, then I'll close out. So pretty much for standout, standout episodes, not necessarily your favorite, just one that kind of, I guess, yeah, stood out to you more than others or one that you found very significant um, during your rewatch. Okay, yeah, so I guess I could just say my favorite episodes are probably the run from all the way of City of Walls and Secrets all the way to the end. Like, that's just a fantastic 
run of episodes right there where you even get Tales of Bossing Say in there, which I will name as a standout. Uh, Zuko Alone, I think, is a standout because it's getting that perspective of of this character we followed. And in the first book, like Mike was saying, through, even through the first three episodes, we're already rooting for this character, but to get the perspective fully, to see the flashbacks, to really put together not only the fact that, oh, he says, see ya, but not only the fact that Zuko's got this like horrible, like pretty bad past, but also giving us a firsthand perspective of what it would be like if somebody on the ground saw the crown prince of the Fire Nation. Like they would hate him. And the fact that that kid like so quickly turned his tune when he learned who he was just gives us this perspective of how hated the Fire Nation is, how terrible they really are, and how much they've changed the world for the worse. And how bad their philosophy of spreading their knowledge and, and wisdom and power really is. Because you come back in the in, in book three and we're in a book and the way that they're teaching the kids is just so messed up on a mental level of, oh, we have to spread our philosophy around the world. Like it brings into, Zuko alone br really brings into perspective that that's a terrible philosophy and it very much is dictatorial. But I love that episode because... We're riding with Aang and crew, riding with Aang and crew, riding with Aang and crew all the way up until that point. And then we pause for a second to finally learn a little bit about Zuko, to learn more about that character, to give more perspective as to why he wants his honor so much. And then also Tales of Ba Sing Se. It's funny because after the library, you do have episodes that do follow a more solid, serious storyline. And then they take a little break right there. And they're like, hold on. Let's bring you back that 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 format we were going with, with the story by story. Let's give you a little bit more of that before we finally close the book and get to the more serious plot thread right after that. So I love the tales of boxing say. It's all these cute, funny little tales. You get a little tail with Momo. You get the, oh my gosh, the Iroh one. So sad with Luton. And that was the last, I believe the last episode that the original voice actor Mako voiced Iroh. So that was also a dedication to part to him as well. Very, very just heart-wrenching episode when he's singing the song, the Soldier Boy song at the end of that episode. So touching. So I can't say those two are my favorite because my favorite is definitely The Crossroads of Destiny and The Guru. But I can say that those are standout episodes to me for those reasons. Okay, definitely. Uh, Elliot, what about you? Your uh, standout episodes of season two. Yeah, so um, similar to Leo, I've always had like what my favorite episode in season two was and but then also similar to you christian like just across the board this whole book is is perfection uh, my standout has always been the desert i absolutely just love seeing ang just broken and it sounds kind of sad to say but we just get a, a side of ang that we haven't seen we never really see again fully we see him go through spouts of anger and whatnot but i think this episode we really just see what it's like for him to, to well i mean to lose Appa is everything to him as i said at you know the top of the show Appa is his last connection to his life a hundred years ago and and so to lose him it's 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 a big blow and just to see the emotions that Anne goes through from being completely despondent to to shouting out to i mean killing that vulture wasp let's be real that thing did that thing's not surviving that strike like there's no way he was a, he was a different guy throughout that episode and it culminates into his 
his avatar state at the end and i just love that moment with katara just bringing him back down and and comforting him and and helping him through that i think it really speaks to their their relationship and their friendship you know i think she was the only person that that could do that you know she was the person that discovered him and the first face he saw after a hundred years, you know, there's that imprint that only she could, she could comfort him in that moment. So it's a fantastic episode. Um, and in the same sort of vein, it's why Crossroads of Destiny has always been up there as well, because the good guys lose. And I love, I love when good guys lose because it, it creates stakes in the world. You know, it says that actually it's not always going to be all right. It's why I, in the MCU, Civil War is one of my favorite films because it's good guys versus good guys. Like it, 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 it shows that difference and that, and in, in opinion and morality. And, and in this case, it, it just shows that, yeah, it's not always, we're not always going to win. We're not always going to go into the avatar state, connect to an ocean spirit and become a big blue kaiju. No, this time we're going to lose, unfortunately. Um, and then in particular with this rewatch, the standout episode for me was Lake Lao Guy. I think there's, it's, it's a great episode. We uncover the full plot of what Long Feng's been doing. Uh, we get, uh, to fight alongside Jet and the Freedom Fighters again, which is really fun. Zuko has a big moment in this episode, which I'll talk about a bit later. And I, and we get Apple back. I mean, essentially, you know, we've gone through those episodes with him. It's been, in the universe, it's been over a month without him. We've just, I think we just had the episode, uh, Appa's Lost Days just before as well. And, and now he's back and it's just such a beautiful moment. And the fact that, you know, we zoom in on Ang at that moment, just hugging Appa, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's why I love the desert. And then we get that connection, that payoff later in Lake Lao Guy. It's brilliant. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. And, uh, Mike, what about you? Your standout episodes for season two. I just want to point out how absurd it is that you want me to narrow down one episode. I'm sorry, bro. Two. I know. <laughs> Literally every single episode is perfection in my eyes. And I'm like, you know what? I just thought it would be fun. But yeah, <laughs> it's so hard. It is so difficult with season two. It is. It It is. Luckily, uh, Elliot and Leo took some of my favorite episodes. So they covered those beautifully. Um one that stands out to me is Bitter Work. It's coming off of the heels of The Chase, which I feel like is one of the most intense episodes of the series anyway. So that's automatically up there. But I love how in Bitter Work we see... It, it, we kind of return to what we did in The Storm. We have that that duality, that dichotomy between Aang and Zuko. Aang is trying to master or learn this new element that's completely different from everything he's done so far. It's his complete opposite. And Zuko, on the flip side, is trying to learn how to connect within himself, how to lightning bend, how to redirect lightning. And in doing so, Zuko straight up says, this idea of balance sounds like Avatar stuff. And Iroh is explaining basically the thesis of the entire show of you need balance, you need to understand others, you need to understand these other cultures. And I think that plays really well because this is, Zuko, this is the first time really following up with Zuko after Zuko alone. And in Zuko alone, he is discovering what the Fire Nation has done to this world because for the last few years, he's been trying to capture the Avatar. And he's been at sea. He hasn't really been integrated in society. And so now that he is trying to broaden his understandings, and I feel like that's also great for Iroh as a character too, right? They are now discovering the damage the Fire Nation has done 
to the nations around them. And in doing so in bitter work, we see Aang uh, basically coming to grips with his inner struggles and trying to move past it. Same with Zuko. So it's a very book one type of episode. But with, but again, it just kind of harkens back to the thesis of the story, and that is balance. And so I love bitter work for that reason. The Guru, Crossroads of Destiny, those are fantastic episodes. Um, I can probably spend 20 minutes just talking about those alone, so I won't bore you with that. <laughs> but I think uh, Bitter Work is a very, very underrated episode in the season. And even Sokka becoming a vegetarian for 20 minutes, peak <laughs> comedy right there. <laughs> Kristen, before you jump in on your favorite, I just want to jump in there because I think what Bitter Work also creates um, with Zuko learning more about you know, the avatar essentially really is what he's doing. It, yeah. it almost creates a nice little trilogy on its own, along with the storm from book one and then the avatar and the fire Lord in book three and connecting yeah. actually the crossing of Ang and Zuko's destinies. Yeah. It's interesting. I just thought of that as you were speaking, I just wanted to drop that in there. You're totally fine. Actually. Yeah. Cause yeah, that does happen. And we get a pretty big reveal in, uh, in book three. And when I was a kid it like, it blew my mind. I was like, what does this mean? Like, <laughs> For that sure, scene but. where Zuko's like, that's it? That was all of us. It's like, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also just want to honorable mention. I want to just give a shout out to Elizabeth Welsh-Ihas. Um, you created, you wrote Abba's Lost Days. I'm sending you my therapy bill, okay? Because that <laughs> destroyed me. <laughs> to the point where on this rewatch, I skipped it. I didn't even watch that episode. I'm like, really? you are not, you are not causing emotional damage for me for like a fifth time watching that episode. Wow, not I got, again. Well, I mean, I did write to you guys and tell you how it destroyed me on this rewatch, so I can yeah. understand that fully. Yeah, I'm like, nope, not doing it. Oh man, well, you guys have really nailed like this. Like I said before, every episode is perfect. But there are so many standout episodes. I'm I'm probably going to go with the Blind Bandit because Toph is my favorite character. Like I said, it's a 1A, 1B type situation with her and Zuko. When the Blind Bandit happens, you know, we, we see this, this frail little girl. And we're like, oh, like we, we notice that she's blind. And even from the setup from book one where, you know, he, uh, where uh, Boomy tells... Aang that he needs to find a uh, earthbending teacher that, you know, listens to the earth, someone who's patient, someone who, um, who waits and then, you know, reacts to their opponent's um, moves. And it's, I mean, that that's tough. You know, we see her, we really see her go full force, not even with just her metal bending this season, but even within the blind bandit, how she takes down like an entire, just like organization of these, these uh, earthbending wrestlers and it's like, she is the real deal. And like I said before, she's super confident. She's very assuring of herself. She has no doubts and she knows who she is and she doesn't want to change. And she, she has a very old soul. I feel like even though she is still a kid, but she's more, she's probably the most mature of the group uh, between her and Katara, I would say, but you know, as far as for season two, I think she's probably the most uh, mature of the entire gang or Aang's gang or Team Avatar, however you want to put it. So I just the love boomerang the squad. 
The boomerang oh, Michael, pictures it as Aang in it. Oh, Michael, you just beat me. Oh, man. So close. Hey, we also see a bit of Toph's, um, her home life. You know, it's not just, oh, hi, I'm Toph. Like, I have parents. You're not going to see them. Like, no, we we see how Toph's, you know, her her previous master treats her and just her power family, her mother and her uh, father treat her. And, you know, they view her as this helpless person who needs tending to 24 seven for the rest of her life. And, you know, her parents see her in action and it's, it's so, I, you know, for, for a second, every single time I rewatch it, I'm like, maybe this time it'll be different. Maybe they'll just say, sure, Toph, you can go travel with the avatar. It's no problem. Go ahead and save the world. This is like Pokemon style. When you turn 10 years old and then, all right, I'm going to go, you know, collect some gym badges and I'll see you guys later. Bye. Kind of thing. Um, but no, like her, her parents are very reluctant of the idea and it, it just scares them even more. And then Toph decides to go out on her own anyway. And then that kind of, Leads into another thread of, hey, the Avatar has kidnapped my daughter. I need you to bring her back. And it's like, for a second, did you ever think that she kind of just left on her own? <laughs> like, she doesn't want to be here. Like, her own house is a prison because, you know, you view her disability hindering her life instead of it actually probably, probably just um, increasing, I mean, her abilities and just, it doesn't really matter if she's blind or not. But it's like it's it's very they don't really they don't see the real daughter that they've raised, I guess you could say. But it's still very impressive how she's able to sneak out to these like big, like multi arena events, win all this money, become the champion. And it's like, oh, the blind bandit. Have you never heard of the blind bandit before? Or is this just kind of like, a, you know, oh, maybe it's just a stage name kind of thing. It's like, no, it, it could be our daughter. But. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but sorry, it's just a big tangent, but I, I really just love that episode so much because we get so much of Toph's home life and who she is and, you know, what she's all about. And then, you know, that kind of goes into the chase and whatnot where they're just fighting all the time. And it's like that. It's such a natural transition of events and it just happens over and over and over. It's one of those things where you look at this season, you look at how many new characters they introduce, right? Azula, May, Ty Lee, Toph, and they're all integral to the identity of Avatar The Last Airbender. And every time I rewatch the series, I sit here and like, how did we have 20 plus episodes without these characters? Every single time, it astounds me. It does. It really does. It's it's just, it's phenomenal. Like every time someone's like, "Hey, like what's your favorite like TV show ever?" Like I always say Avatar cuz like that is a definitive answer for me because nothing has been able to top it. You know, we do have the live action coming out here in a bit. So we'll see. <laughs> We will see. I mean, apparently, uh, Ty Lee's supposed to be in season one. I'm like, how, what, what is going on here? Like, my brain's like, no, that's that's not the way it's supposed to be. But maybe it'll be a flashback. I think uh, Mike had mentioned that before. Yeah, we might get some Zuko flashbacks. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I mean, it would make sense that they would be there. I mean, they are kind of there where, you know, during the Zuko flashbacks. But that didn't hit until season two. 
when we saw, you know, little Tylee and stuff. I was like, man. I, now you know oh, how man. I feel for every comic book movie that comes out. <laughs> like, okay. We're doing Civil War now. It worked. But at first, he's like, now? Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that that is true. I mean, I felt that way during, um, what was it? Um, Cowboy Bebop as well. Oh, boy. I was just like, oh. It, it really just hurts my heart. Like, they canceled that show so fast. But I guess it is what quick. it is. Too quick. It, was, it was way too quick. It was like a two, like at least two months after and like everyone was so excited, and then Netflix is like, ha, yoink. <laughs> I feel like season but, two would have been really good, but you know. I I was hoping, maybe. But uh let's move on here. I don't want to keep you guys here too long. We've been talking for a little bit over an hour. This is crazy. But let's get into our favorite bending slash non-bending moments. If you have both, that's fine. If you can only think of one, that's fine too. So we'll start with <laughs> One or the other, you know, like it could just be a favorite bending moment. It doesn't have to be a favorite bending and non-bending. But we'll start with Mike, then we'll go to Leo, and then Elliot, and then I'll close out. I'm laughing because you had you had the audacity to say you might only have one. <laughs> and it's just like, you think I only have one each? Come on, man. <laughs> there's a lot of no, great. Yeah. There, there's a lot of great ones. Um, like... I'm still having a hard time narrowing it down. There's one of my favorite non-bending moments has to be, and it could be considered cheating. Zuko's entire story arc this season, I feel is great. Like when he's yelling at that storm, begging to be struck by lightning so he can show that he's strong enough to redirect it. That hits me every single time because it shows that he understood Iroh's lesson, but he still has that inner turmoil he's trying to work out. So I think that's a great moment. I love the moment where Iroh confronts Zuko as the blue spirit. And he's like, it's time for you to make a decision. What are you going to do with your life? Who do you want to be? That's another great non-bending moment. As far as bending moments though, Azula shooting that lightning bolt at Aang easily because it changes the entire trajectory of the entire show. It's something that you don't see coming and even now, watching the show like five times, I still am shook seeing it happen. And on the flip side of that, though, Katara being able to heal Aang with that spirit water that we introduced in the very first episode this season is just a great callback. Because you mentioned it earlier, Christian, I believe. You said in that episode, we learned how the Avatar state works. And if you get killed in the Avatar state, it's over. In the same episode, we introduced the spirit water. I love how that's just a good bookend to this season. I even love how it mirrors the first episode where Aang opens his eyes and he sees Katara. Those are fantastic moments. And even Toph lifting the library with her bare hands is another great bending moment. I can be here all day. I'm sorry. Whoever's next, go now. (laughs) All right, Leo, what are your favorite uh, bending and non-bending moments of book two? I mean, Mike literally stripped the board. Like, I mean, (laughs) homie took the best (laughs) bending moments of the season and the best non-bending. But uh, another um, experience I did like that was non-bending, Cave of Two Lovers, because guess what? It's Aang and Katara, y'all. There ain't no Zutara that doesn't exist. That was a little I'm fancy still, we made I'm out. I'm still on that Zutara's train, man. They, no, they, they we not Zutara at this house. 
Katang all day. Yes, yes, Ellie. So, Katang all yeah. day. So, 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 um, look, when, 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 when Braving the Elements dropped their episode from MCM Comic Con, where I got to ask a question, if I feature, just listen out, okay? That's all I'm going to say. Just listen out on that one. Okay. Uh, All right. I'm going to have to go ahead and uh, check that out. But <laughs> I nah, just, no. before you go, Leo, I just have to ask a question real quick. Which moment in Cave of Two Lovers? Is it the secret tunnel moment? Because that's purely non bending whatsoever. Or is it the Katang kiss lighting up the way moment? Because both are incredible, honestly. <laughs> both, both of me. Uh, but I just, yeah, I like, I like both moments in that episode. But in terms of bending moments, I mean, Come on, Toph taking down the boulder. Toph just dominating that tournament. Great bending moments. Um, also, them versus the Dai Li, I thought were cool displays of their bending moments. But one moment that I particularly like is when they enter into the Earth Kingdom and they're all just bending and Toph bends those stairs. That's a very cool moment just to show us how far Team Avatar has come to be able to just take down all these guys on their own, yeah. like... They're a force to be reckoned with. And that really did show just how competent and great all of them are together. And then another non-bending moment I did like was Azula confronting Zuko and Iroh at the beginning. Because it was clear that he needed to change his tune at that point. But I just love like how it kind of clipped their wings of them getting away from the Fire Nation. And it kind of pulls Zuko back in. The more he sees it, the more he's pulled back into wanting his honor in that way. So I like that too. Honestly, like Mike was saying, tons of moments through the season. I mean, yes, the moment that lots of Zutara supporters enjoy when they're in the cave. I did think that was a good moment. I didn't get any romance from it. I, Me personally, I was like, mm, I don't find this to be a romantic moment, but more so just a, for a moment of forgiveness and empathy. But I did like that moment too for the fact that yeah, they begin to understand who Zuko is, more of a person. He betrays them pretty quickly, but she begins to understand that there's more layers to Zuko than they originally thought. So love that moment as well. Honestly, just packed with good moments. Packed with good moments. Okay. Elliot, what about you? Well, I thought that I was going to come in with the controversial opinion of saying Azula shooting Ang, but uh, it's good to see that uh, people are on the same same level here. Um, but uh, for me, what makes it really important, a really important moment is that it comes at the time where I think Ang fully accepts his role as the Avatar, where he is willing to let go of his earthly attachments. I think it's definitely clear that he is 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 wanting to save people wanting to save the world he's on this mission from you know from book one but i think here is the moment where he's like no 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 i am the avatar we're in a dire situation my the only way i can do it is by fully accepting that accepting my role and and taking taking this place uh next to the next to this great line of of benders and 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 then he gets shot down. And so, you know, I actually watched, I've actually already watched the first episode for book three as well. And it just bleeds so perfectly into there as well of showing that acceptance and showing how he's, he feels that he has completely failed and, and he's lost and, and that's it. So it's, it's a massive moment. I mean, yeah, I mean, I had all the same other things. Toph first, the earth bending wrestlers, Toph first, uh, the, the earth soldiers with the stairs is is an incredible feat of bending tough inventing metal bending like thank you is, is i just, was waiting for one of you guys you to bring it someone up to say someone yeah i think it's just such an obvious thing i, mean, I tried to knows. leave one yeah right everyone knows everyone knows <laughs> 
but it's a massive moment too. Um, you know, and there are there are countless to talk about really. Um, in terms of non-bending, um, I had Zuko setting up a free, which I think is a massive moment for Zuko. A massive moment to Iro for Iro as well, because I think Iro finally feels that he might be getting through to Zuko, especially as Zuko goes through that state of metamorphosis. Uh, but another big non-mending moment for me is is Sokka's drill plan as well. I think is is just brilliant. You know, he's he's watched what Ty Lee has done and he's gone, boom, oh, I, I am the ideas guy. Here we go. Let's I've got an idea. Um and it again it then lends into some great comedy when Toph takes them underground. It's so dark in here, I can't see a thing. Oh no, how awful. <laughs> I just think it's just it's just brilliant. I that is another one. That makes me roll. Her sarcasm the is the best. Oh, it's the best. Yeah. Um, and then I also really love the song of the two lovers as well. I mean, that is embedded itself in the Avatar fandom. It's it's just brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah, I was waiting for them. Like, is no one going to bring up top like metal bending? Like, she was like, okay, I can do this. And during happening the same time as when Aang's talking to the Guru about you know power and perfection, and then that kind of leads into. Um, the conversation with Aang and Ira, where Ira saying, you know, perfection and power are overrated. And he says, I think you were very wise to choose happiness and love because, you know, for him to fully, for Aang to fully control the Avatar state, he had to essentially let go of those of that, who he loved. But um, yeah, definitely for me, number one, it's always going to be tough metal bending because that really just changes the game moving on forward for, through the rest of Avatar and obviously bleeding in to um, Legend of Korra. But I would say for, man, um, during the drill episode where um, another favorite, I guess, bending moment is when Aang just kind of goes head on towards Azula. We haven't really seen that before. You know, Aang's very evasive. You know, airbending is, is second nature to him. You know, he's supposed to, you know, attack... Like, if he can't attack a, uh enemy through one angle, he has to look at it through multiple angles to see, you know, how he can uh, weasel his way through. But the way that he was able just to face on head Azula when he kind of put, like, the X marks the spot and then he pr- uh, brings down, like, the, uh, the sharp boulder and kind of just, like, delivers a final blow after they kind of weaken the uh, draw from the inside was really amazing as well. Yeah, and, but, and the swell of the music and everything, isn't it? It's just such a yeah. Moment. And I was like, oh man, Aang's really got like he, you know, it shows that he's able to now face these types of situations head on instead of trying to avoid and evade um and try to attack from a different angle because Toph is the one who um who taught him that. And also It's that moment I feel like he became an earthbender, honestly. Yeah, I I agree for sure. And another funny bit, I guess when uh <laughs> during what was it, the Serpent's Pass where Tall can't swim. And then she yells out for Sokka to help him. <laughs> and it's Suki who saves her. She's like, oh, Sokka, you're my hero. And she's like, um, actually, it's me. She's like, oh, you can go ahead and let me drown now. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> it's a secondary embarrassment. I'm like, Toph, I feel you on that one. Just just let me drown. It's fine. Sokka pulling all the ladies, even Toph. I'm like, man, Sokka. Exactly. You know, man. I mean, he just... What three ladies throughout the series? I'm like, geez, Sokka. One series, like, geez, one series. The way that he could have had Ty Lee at any moment this season is hilarious. (laughs) Any moment, any moment. Seriously, 
They got him a lady I, on every every nation. Seriously. He's the avatar, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one more bending moment that I just thought of. Um, yeah, go my ahead. sister pointed this out earlier. Um when Iroh bit fire bends his tea, can you imagine yeah. if that moment never happened? It yeah. leads to Jet's death. It leads to Zuko not being a freedom fighter. Because I feel like that's where the story would have gone if they didn't become enemies at that point. We might have never found Appa if Jet wasn't snooping around bossing say like he was. It's mm. that one moment changed the entire trajectory of where the story was going. It is just yeah. laughable to think that Iroh's T led to Jet dying. That is just wild to think about. That was a sad moment. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> What a rabbit yeah. hole. Holy crap. Yeah. You just go down a rabbit hole after that. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's still, it's I mean, even with Jet's death, it's, I mean, I mean, he's, Jet, Jet's always been a very interesting character, but it was like, I remember watching it even just for the first time when it was Aaron Nickelodeon. It's like, I was actually kind of sad. Like, you know, you're not going to see Jet again. They don't really address uh, it. No, animation wise, I was a bit of a cop out because he earth bends, a smoke comes up and the homies on the ground. You're like, I didn't even really get to see. I know it's a kid show, so they yeah. didn't want to, you know. It's not the Legend too, of Korra, dude. Too bad, but. It's not that brutal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ain't no Earth Queen. Ain't no Earth Queen, brother. No. <laughs> oh, no. God, that was Ain't brutal, no wasn't it? When he was taking her, her, her air at her? I was like, oh, my God. But another just cool moment, speaking of Iroh with the T, was when he was like, this is why they call me the Dragon of the West and breeze out fire. That yeah. was tight. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. I was like, so it's, well, I was gonna it's say, so actually, interesting. I just, Sorry, go ahead. Oh, you're good. No, yeah, yeah, because you're talking about the tea. I was going to talk about someone else. So talk about the tea. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, I really love how, you know, throughout the moments of, even, even with season one, especially season two, how, you know, it's not just, oh, they can bend out of their, their hands and their feet. They can use other aspects of their body like i mean it's i mean through your you would never think oh i can fire bend through my mouth or even boomy mm -hmm. like kind of like air bend, oh, uh, not air bending excuse me earth bending with i know right man um earth bending with his his nose essentially kind of like his entire face and it's like i love it how they're able to you know I wonder if is he is he psychic earth bending i always wondered this if he was psychic mm. earth bending in the way that Amon can psychic blood bend. I was, yeah, it was a curious one for me. I always wondered. That's a very good question. And I just love how he introduces like the idea of Neutrogen, right? Like we learned so much yeah. more this season. Like again, season one, building the world, telling us what bending even is. But now we have sub-bending of metal, neutral jing. We have the the spiritual connection that we learned from Guri Patik. It's like there's always a sense of discovery and learning throughout this series. And I love how it just escalates over and over and over to the point where there's plot points and ideas. We've been talking for an hour 20. We haven't even scratched the surface of this entire book. That's how wild no, it is. We haven't. Literally. And that's what makes it so good. But go ahead, uh, Elliot. What, where are you about to say? Oh, yeah. No, I just thought of, of, of another kind of great non-bending moment. And it's with Iroh and, and the discovery of the White Lotus. You know, that, that whole thing that we get a stronger payoff for in book three. Um, it's just a nice little, we're just going to drop this one here for you. And uh, we'll let that one bloom later on to use all the puns. <laughs> <laughs> Some unlucky soul has lost his pie show chip. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Not many favor the white lotus gambit. 
<laughs> the priorities for some of these characters sometimes questions my I'm like, I mean, I don't know. Iroh's just all around fan freaking tastic. <laughs> but as Mike said, we have been talking here for about an hour and 20. So um, I did kind of want to wrap up here with everyone's final thoughts. Don't want to keep you guys here all day. But we'll start with Elliot. Then we'll go to Mike. Then Leo. Then I'll close out. Just your final thoughts of season two um, as a whole. Yeah, sure. Um, I think one thing that season two does absolutely beautifully, and we get hints of it in, in season one, but I think in, in book two, we, we really get to see how war affects this world because we've been told from the beginning that the good guy is Aang and the bad guys are the Fire Nation. And, you know, similar in Harry Potter, the bad guys are Slytherins, right? Here it's, it's the bad guys of Fire Nation. But in book two, it kicks that door down and goes, actually, there are bad guys everywhere. And in this case, it's, you know, if it's the soldiers in Zuko alone, the Earth soldiers in Zuko alone, if it's Long Feng and the Dai Li, it's coming, if it's the Sandbenders, you know, it's coming from from everywhere. We get another evil spirit again in Wan Shitong, like, well, evil protecting, you can argue that one if you want. But, you know, it's it's we just see it from everywhere that there are enemies everywhere you know especially in the earth kingdom it's a massive place it's the biggest plot of land in 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 this world so it's i just love that we we get a very nuanced world and i think that's why avatar the last airbender has stood the test of time because it it deals with the morally gray so much and you know, and the moral question, the moral questions that Aang has to go through in book three and for how he ends the war is is another great thing that bleeds on from this season. So, uh, yeah, I, I, it's why book to Earth will always be my favourite across bro- both shows, because I think it just we've we've built the world. Now we open it up and it's not what we thought it was. That is a beautiful statement. I love that. <laughs> All right. Mike, what are your closing thoughts? Tough act to follow right there. Um, but yeah, <laughs> book two, Avatar The Last Airbender, Earth. That's a tough one. Um, this entire season, this entire arc for all of these characters, I think really is hinted upon the the final uh, episode, right? The crossroad of destiny. And that's my biggest takeaway. Um, like Elliot said so beautifully about how war affects the world and all these characters. I'm looking at how also they internalize their own destiny. What does it mean to be blind like Toph? And how does she overcome that? What does it mean for Zuko to go against everything he knows about himself and become a good person? Or he, he discovers everything he's been living has essentially been a lie. Uh, Aang finally accepting his duty as the Avatar at the worst possible moment, <laughs> honestly. Um, you have all of those ideas of destiny and purpose and i think for me that's what stands out the most um i think that's why this is the strongest book because this is you said in our last recording christian it's the meat and potatoes of the story zuko's entire character arc is this season and it bleeds into book three but all of the context all of the growth all of the the lessons he learns is right here in book two and Seeing it mirror Aang, seeing it even mirror someone like Sokka, seeing how overprotective he is of Suki because of what happened to Yue just shows that the progression and the growth and the change we see in these characters. And so, yeah, it, it's it's perfect. 
It's a perfect season. Everything down to the last minute detail. Minute details. It's perfect. <laughs> Spoken like a true Homelander. <laughs> For sure. Um, Leah, what about you? What are your final thoughts? My final thoughts are, first of all, two tough acts to follow. Fantastically sad guides. Um, yeah, you know, it progresses the story in a way that the story had not taken before. I like we had talked about earlier, it went from being a episodic, cutesy little adventure show to really tracking onto the Avatar, The Last Airbender whole series that we know really transitioned these characters from the ragtag team that they were in book one to defenders of the world at this point. Um, and it really did ramp up the story and take it to new heights that it had not explored before. Book two. And three, in my opinion, are two perfect seasons beginning to end. Um, I love every single episode in both books. I think that it does a lot for the progression of these characters and just shows it really carves out their destinies here because in book one, we had a lot of implications and, oh yeah, the Fire Lord, this summer's far away, whatever, we can kick our feet up. and But it really ramps up the story into an energy that is more urgent into one that we have to discover, not only discover these characters, we still got to master the elements. We, there's so much to do. It really ramps things up onto another level. So that's one of my favorite things from the season. And just like you were saying, Elliot, I love exploring morally gray stories. And I think that Avatar always gives us this, it really gives us an exploration of morality that a lot of shows tend to, tend to not skew toward. We'll get into this another day, but that's kind of why I don't like uh, Legend of Korra season two. But I do think that uh, <laughs> he said we'll get reaction, to it another day. We have him on I, record saying he'll be there. <laughs> I, yeah, you know what? For book two, especially, I'll be there. But I do love what it does for the sides of good and evil and to rope Zuko and Aang's stories, my two characters, closer together. My two favorite characters closer together. So great season. Yeah, you guys really hit it right on the <laughs> hit it right on the head there. Um, I mean, it's really hard to follow up all that, but I will just say that it's it's just from from the very beginning. There are like a first few episodes of book of book two that kind of feel like not afterthoughts of book one, but it's such a nice little transition because as soon as you hit um, pretty much just like the blind bandit, because that is why you know, uh, and goes to Amashi, who finds out that it's taken over by the fire, uh, fire nation. And then it's like, well, we tried to go back to Amashu and that didn't work. So we need to head to Ba Sing Se and on their journey there, that's where they kind of meet Toph. So I feel like that's really where, okay, this is where season two, like really, really begins because you know, you have the avatar state learning about the avatar, things of that nature. Um, but it's overall, like I said, in season one, it really is the meat and potatoes of the entire series, like the conspiracies with bossing say, and just everything that happens. It's just like one major event after another, and it never stops until the very end. And you're just sitting there like, wow, I just watched like a phenomenal piece of storytelling that a lot of studios and other directors and writers have been trying to create their own world and their own version of this great piece of media that, you know, Avatar, you know, picked up with Mike and Brian and it kind of just 
it, it really is crazy just to think that, you know, it's the year 2022. You know, we're here still talking about Avatar The Last Airbender as if it came out like last month. And it's just it's something that's very beautiful when it comes to, you know, I feel like with season two handled so well, you guys touched on it where, you know, the the struggles, struggles of war. And we kind of see that a little bit in like maybe like Star Wars or Clone Wars where Padme has like a best friend who's on the separatist side and you figure out that not everyone who is labeled as a separatist or even as someone who's in the fire nation is necessarily, you know, they're not the stereotypical evil uh, persona that you've kind of like built up in your head. And just the, the effects of this war of season two um, really just takes the show to new heights. And I think Mike had actually mentioned it. I was talking to him. I think you kind of call this empire strikes back version of uh, for Avatar Last Airbender because there are there is there are points in time where everyone is separated towards the end and then they all have to kind of like come back together um, and and they, and they still lose which is crazy and I think that's what Elliot was talking about I I really I agree with this point there where when when heroes lose it gives them a sense of like a reality check and they feel more real and more grounded as a character. Cause it's like, I mean, I know we joke about the whole Superman and like Goku thing, but one of the reasons why I love Goku so much is because yes, he is this all powerful being like he is a saying he's not from earth, but he, he loses time and time again. And he kind of just shrugs it off. You know, like he likes to fight these super, like strong opponents, like whether he'll win or not, it's kind of like he always is, wants to test his strength moving forward. So I feel like in a way, I'm not saying that Superman isn't humanized, but that's how Goku is humanized in that way where, you know, he doesn't always win, um, you know, and Superman has his own humanization where, you know, he's trying to become human you know, or he's living among humans and that starts to rub off on his uh, persona, his character. But uh, yeah, sorry. A little bit of an off tangent thing there. But. Christian's wearing a Superman <laughs> shirt, everybody. Just point nope. that out. <laughs> can't prove it. No. Oh, got him. Got it, him. It's laundry <laughs> day. Him. It's laundry day, everyone. It is laundry but, day for me. But, but you <laughs> but, know what? Just listen, yeah. just listen to that. That In a way, Goku and Superman are kind of similar to uh, Ang and Korra. You know, Ang is, Ang is this, this person trying to become more powerful, similar to Goku. And Korra is this all powerful being trying to become, trying to explore her human, her human side. Yeah. She's been locked away training. And then she goes into the big bad world and it's like, oh, right. Okay. This is not how we interact with people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Very true. <laughs> yeah. Let me just show up and be a, a superhero. G- oh, I got arrested. <laughs> yeah. Vigilante Korra is my favorite Korra, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> For me, it's yeah, seasons yeah, yeah. three and four yeah. Korra when she actually changed up. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, but man, we'll get it. that we'll whole get it. show is just, it's so good. But yeah, those are just my final thoughts for uh, season two of, of Avatar Last Airbender. It's, it, it is perfect. Like I, yeah. th- there's very seldom, like there's so many seasons out there of like so many TV shows. And this is just, it's, it, it's one of the, it's, it's like one of the best things ever, but I can't wait to talk about book three with you guys for sure. But that pretty much wraps up our series revisited of Avatar The Last Airbender. 
book to earth. Uh, and before we kind of close out here, kind of wanted to uh, give our guests a chance to let you know where you can find them on the internet and what projects they have coming out um, on their respective channels. So we'll start with Leo, then we'll go to Mike, and then we'll have Elliot close out. You guys can find me at Geekly Goods on all social media f- platforms, including YouTube, Twitter, and TikTok. If you're over on Instagram, you can find me at Leo Rydell GG. Uh, coming up, we got Beast next week with Idris Elba. Got that review on the way. Can't wait to check that out. Got some more content, too, in the works. So come on over if you're on YouTube. Search up Geekly Goods. Let's talk some geek guys. Thank you for having me on, Christian. I really appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. All right, Mike, what about you? Yeah, you can find me at Novice Cinephile on Twitter, TikTok, YouTube. You can also find me at The Chatter After. That's on the YouTube channel, but also wherever you get your podcasts, where I'm with uh, Isaac and Brandon talking all things movies and TV. Christian, we're supposed to be doing Severance one of these days. We're going to cover that soon. Yes. (laughs) Such a good Um, show. Yeah, you can also find my written work at Geek Vibes Nation, Collider, NovaceCinephile.com. And as far as what's coming up, I have no idea. That's why you got to subscribe. Stay tuned. <laughs> we'll figure that out as the day comes. Um, that She-Hulk, prob- y'all. <laughs> we, yeah, She-Hulk. We have Dawn of Yangchen. we got to get into that. There's a lot of Avatar mm. stuff going on, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Elliot, what about you? Nice. Uh, yes, you can find me at Hakuna Machata on Twitter, on Instagram. I'm more active on Twitter out of those two, so definitely connect with me there. You'll find me on YouTube, Hakuna Machata as well. My channel is geared towards being a positive corner on the internet for diversity and representation in film and TV. So do come and check me out over there if that's something you like. Talking things diversity and representation, I am currently working on uh, my thoughts on the Warner Brothers DC stuff. So that will be coming out soon. Hopefully, by the time this podcast is out, yes. I should have that out. Just the whole rehearsing with the show at the moment, it takes over your life. And, and this next week, we got Tech Week. So it's coming. Y'all just have to bear with. And as I said, I've just seen Nope as well. So I'll be uh, definitely revisiting Get Out, Us, and Nope and looking at this unofficial Jordan Peele trilogy of films as well. So yeah, that's uh, that's Hakuna Machetta. I just want to say, right quick. Nope has the greatest Akira slide in the last decade. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it's in Jordan Peele's top three. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so ladies and gentlemen, definitely follow our wonderful guests. They all pump out some amazing content. Um, I am not a YouTuber at all, but I don't know how these guys do it, but they get it done. <laughs> 100% so definitely check them out on their respective platforms give them a follow on Twitter subscribe to their channels if you've liked what you've heard on today's episode please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform of choice whether that be Apple Podcasts Spotify Google Podcasts Audible you name it and make sure to share an episode of our podcast with a friend whether it be your mother your brother your lover whoever it may be make sure to share an episode of the Film Optics Podcast with a movie lover and need uh as far for us i think by the time this is out because i still haven't figured out when i'm going to release it within the near future it's going to be within the month of august i promise um but our sandman uh review should be out as well as our prey review that we just uh finished up same with our bullet chain review we've been doing a lot of 
just random reviews in general. I think we're going to be doing bodies, bodies, bodies as well. That might be out by the time this is out. Um, it's just, we're kind of recording out of our normal timeline schedule here, but those are just a few episodes, um, that are out and a few that are coming out. Of course, we're, we're going to be covering She-Hulk and, or possibly some, uh, house of the dragon, maybe a little bit of Lord of the Rings. We'll just have to wait and see. There's just so much coming out. Um, and I think we might have to revisit Rogue One because that's hidden theaters again in IMAX. So I'm very excited about that. I'll, I'll go see. It's it's easy top five of all Star Wars movies out there. But um, again, thank you so much to our wonderful guests for coming on. We'd love to have you guys back. Of course, we're going to be closing out our series revisited with book three that will be hitting in September of 2022. So definitely keep a lookout for when that will be dropping on our Twitter page. Uh, that is Film Optics, um, Optics, Optics with an X. And that pretty much does it. And we hope you guys have a great day. And that is a wrap for today. Thank you all for listening. And if you enjoy the show, leave us a five-star rating review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram to stay in the know. That was Leo, Mike, Elliot, and my name is Christian. We'll see you guys in the next one. What a chat. Keep your knees, eyes, twinkle toes. (laughs) Yep, yep. Listen here, sugar queen. (laughs) Top is such a great kid. The pebble. (laughs) The pebble.